Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Unexpected vet bills. Yeah. Those three little words can make even the most seasoned breeder nervous. Fortunately, there's Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. A Trupanion policy can help cover the cost of unexpected new accidents or illnesses, allowing you to focus on what really matters, the health of your pet. Last year, Trupanion paid out a wide variety of claims. From sock ingestion to torn ACLs, they've covered it. While you're at it, make sure to take advantage of Trupanion's Breeder Support Program for exclusive access to a special Trupanion offer for your litters, a breeder referral program, and your own dedicated account manager, all at no cost to you. Just follow the link to Trupanion on my partner page and be sure to let them know that Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and joining us again today is Dr. Marty Greer, our veterinary voice, and we are so grateful, as always, for her time. Welcome, Marty. Thank you. I always appreciate being here. And today we are talking about basically just some sort of fundamentals about breeding your bitch, like how many times should you breed a bitch? Can you breed a bitch back to back? If you've had a C-section, can you breed your bitch again? How many C-sections can you have? You know, just, I think, really kind of basic stuff that is for a lot of people outside their area of experience. Good. So let's do it. Let's start with how old will actually start even more fundamental. Your bitch should be X number of months, years old before you breed her. Well, that depends on the breed. If it's a breed that needs to have hips x-rayed after the age of two, then after the age of two is appropriate. A lot of people want to wait until the bitches are older, either because they want to see what kind of health problems they have, or the bitch may have a career. And when we start to see people breeding when they're six or seven years old for the first time, we struggle a lot with fertility. So my recommendation is to not wait too long. If you have a breed that you can do hips early on or don't need to do hips or you don't worry about seizures when they're five, Mm -hmm. then breeding young is fine. I don't like breeding on the first heat cycle for a couple of reasons. One is they tend not to be a fertile cycle. Two is the bitch tends not to be mature emotionally or psychologically. Mm -hmm. And three is she tends not to be physically mature. So I think that pushing them to breed on the first heat is not a great idea. Does that mean it doesn't work ever? No, we have plenty of bitches that plan their own breedings with their own stud dogs in their house. Right. That may have been the breeding that you planned to do after she turned two and she and he decided that they would preemptively do a strike. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you get an accidental breeding, it's always going to work. Statistically, it's 62% that get pregnant, 38% don't, but it never seems to fail that they have these huge, fabulous litters. And there are methods to interrupt those, but I generally recommend against them unless it's a really strong reason, like a brother, sister, or, you know, something along those lines. We have a lot of people who are embarrassed in their breed club. They're worried that people are going to drum them out and tell them, oh, you should never have done that. And of course you didn't plan it, but 
if someone tells you, and they have males and females that are intact in their homes, and they tell you, I have never had that happen to me, either they're lying to you, or it hasn't happened to them yet. yet. Because at some point, the sex drive is strong mm. and males will chew through doors and females will crawl over kennels. Or you can be out of town. I mean, I it happened to me. Okay, this is like my little, what are we going to call this? My little Something. dirty secret. Yes. <laughs> I was out of town and my bright white wire hair pointer bitch, hello, how hard is it to see that she's in season? The beloved people that I left in charge didn't notice and she was out with my ibethan hound mm-hmm. it happens it did yeah and sometimes they're great litters i had one client that came to us and she wanted to interrupt the pregnancy and i said no 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 please don't it's the breeding you intended to do it's just she's doing it younger than you expected she was afraid it would ruin her for the show ring she was afraid it would ruin her all over physically and she had this absolutely gorgeous litter i talked her out of it now if it's an Ibiza and hound bred to a pointer, that might be a different conversation. Yes, my veterinarian was not very happy with me, but this was a bitch who had had a hard time with her first litter. I had had to have a C-section. I saw no reason to have a C-section for, and we waited, we ultrasounded, we knew there were seven puppies. And there's no way I was putting her through that particular surgical procedure to bring these particular puppies into the world. Yeah. And some combinations, even if they're not meant to be, aren't too bad of combinations. Other combinations are a little that weird. That would not have been. Yeah, no, no, no. Technically, that would be a lurcher because anything that's bred to a sighthound is a lurcher. But yeah, that's still not a breed. So yeah. But there are ways to interrupt pregnancy if it happens. You have three choices, and this is kind of off topic, but you have three choices if you do have a mating that went better than you wanted it to. Most of the time when we have people cry at the ultrasound, it's because their bitch didn't get pregnant. Sometimes it's because their bitch did. Yes. So you can either let her have the puppies and teach her to be a good mom. Number two is you can spay her, which of course is the end of her breeding career. And number three is there is a series of injections and oral medications that can be used that are not estrogen. So please, 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 no diethylstabestrol, no ECP, none of those drugs. Those cause bone marrow suppression and can cause your bitch to die. We can see pyometras. And we still see people giving those drugs. So basically we give a prostaglandin and another oral medication. So if somebody gets themselves into a pickle, email me, I'll help you out. I'm not going to go through the whole protocol because it's not really the kind of thing that we want to talk about today. But there are choices for what you can do that are safe for the bitch and will not interfere with future breeding. So call me, email me, let me know if you need help. Excellent. But back to the topic. (laughs) No, that's okay. That was actually kind of a good little squirrel that we chased over the fence there. (laughs) So I think safely we can say two years is a pretty, you know, if it's a month shy and you've got prelims, you know, I mean, we can't be insane about this. But roughly a two-year-old bitch is young enough to be healthy and produce healthy litters, mature enough mentally and emotionally and physically, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We had a Bernese Mountain Dog breeder that came to us and he wanted to breed his bitch when she came into heat. But he had been told that burner bitches never get pregnant with frozen semen. And I looked at my data at the time and we had successfully bred 87.5% of our burners had gotten pregnant with frozen semen. So I said, well, I think it's probably okay to use. And she was actually 23 months old when we bred her, but she'd already done the prelim hips and elbows. So we knew that her skeletal system was appropriate genetically for her to breed. And she had 13 puppies. So Mm -hmm. he was a little surprised that she was 
as fertile, but we do see bigger litters. I like to breed young bitches with a shiny pink, healthy, new, unused, straight off the showroom floor kind of (laughs) litters, not beat up and bedraggled when she's seven years old. And now you want to use this really valuable frozen semen. Please don't do that. The higher the stress of the semen, like frozen and fresh chilled, the younger and the more fertile the bitch needs to be. So we can't have a subfertile male and a subfertile female and expect to have a good outcome. Right. Talk about the idea, you know, we had it, many of us who come up from the 70s and 80s had it beaten into us, you breed every other heat cycle. Right. And more recently, I have heard you and my own veterinarian and other people talk about a pregnant uterus as a happy uterus and that breeding back to back and then maybe skipping one or something along those lines is actually a healthier management option. So can we talk about that? You bet. And yes, we did used to say skip a cycle in between, but you're right. The uterus starts to age and progesterone is what causes the aging. So every time she's exposed to progesterone during a heat cycle and not bred, you beat up the uterus a little bit more. So breeding back to back makes a lot of sense. Now I also know from the other side of things, we know Russ Kelly did some work at Imes Yukonuba Royal Canaan that showed it takes a bitch eight months nutritionally to get back to where she was before she was bred. So my middle ground on that is to breed back to back, then skip a cycle, then breed back to back again. So that's four litters in five cycles. If you're going to breed her that many times, once you're done breeding her, I think she should be spayed. I'm not a proponent of early spay and neuter as we've discussed before, but let her have a cycle off and make sure that nutritionally you're really working it when it comes to that. She should be on puppy food. The other information that we know from, again, another study that was done with a collaboration of Yukonuba with Canine Companions for Independence, CCI, out of Santa Rosa, California, that raises service dogs is they discovered that on a bitch's first litter, 50% of her puppies were successfully graduating as service dogs. And by her fifth litter, they were down to 25%. And it was determined that was a DHA deficiency based on 5,800 puppies in the study. So this is not a little study with three litters. We're talking 5,800 puppies here, people. So pay attention to it. DHA is available. It's seen very widely in a lot of the pet foods, especially puppy foods. Mm -hmm. You'll see something like smart puppy on the label. That means DHA Mm -hmm. has been added. We know that from the work that they did, now they add DHA to human baby formula because again, it improves brain and eye development, and it does not negatively impact joint development. And again, if someone wants to see those research articles, they were published, and I can share those. I can send them to you, and we can share them. We'll put links in the blog post. That one from Canine Companions for Independence on 6,000 puppies, that is huge information. Yeah, really huge. And so we've had clients start to administer DHA, and you can buy it at Walmart, mm-hmm. you might on Amazon. It's used for humans. So you just buy the human product. There really isn't a published dose, but basically if you use a reasonable number of capsules, like one capsule a day, that makes a lot of sense. And we have clients that have anecdotally reported that they think their puppies are smarter. Now it's also noted that DHA will diminish the development of dementia as you age as a human. So if you can remember to buy DHA when you go to the store, This is where you have to write it down because your dementia is already starting to creep in. Absolutely. Early onset dementia is my world. (laughs) So right now, write it down, get your DHA. I'm writing it as we speak. DHA, (laughs) got it. Adding that to my list. So get your DHA, give it to the bitches and it's a fatty acid. So Mm -hmm. I typically will give it to them between heat cycles as well as during. 
because you don't want to wait until the very last minute to administer it. So go ahead and start it. As soon as you get a hold of it, you can start it now. It's going to help the bitches. And I just give it on a daily basis. Roxanne that works for me has also noted that she's had easier whelpings and better litters with DHA. So really pay attention to this kind of nutritional micronutrient that you may or may not find in adequate levels in your pet food. So if you read the labels, like I said, it'll say smart puppy or something along those lines, but supplementing it above and beyond that is certainly not going to hurt the bitch or the puppies. Okay. So we'll send those articles out. Excellent. I like it. Okay. So we do a back-to-back, a season off, and then another litter or two, depending on what you want to have done. Exactly. What about my bitch that had to have a C-section on her first litter for whatever reason? Too many, not enough, bad timing, you know, whatever it is. Sure. And that does not interfere with her ability to have a vaginal birth at a future breeding. Just like in people, V-backs are okay, vaginal birth after C-section. It's safe for her to have another litter born vaginally if she's had a C-section. And I was kind of pondering this this morning when we were talking about this topic. I've done as many as five C-sections on one individual bitch, mm-hmm. and I don't have a problem with that. I do try to avoid surgical breedings if it's also a breed that's going to have a C-section because I really hate to make that many incisions. If we're going to have five litters with five surgical breedings and five C-sections, that's 10 abdominal surgeries plus or spay. That's a lot. It's a lot. So there's a couple nuances to this. One is those real thick-bodied, heavily-bodied dogs like the English Bulldogs, the Pugs, the Frenchies, the Bullies. Anything that has that full belly and then a tuck up, those are more difficult surgically to close the abdominal wall after they've had multiple surgeries. There starts to develop scar tissue and that huge tuck up really makes the surgical technique a little bit harder. I've never seen anybody publish anything on it, but consistently I see that happening in my hands in my practice. And we do 200 C-sections a year. So it's not like I do three a year. There are days we do four in a day. So we have a lot of experience with this. The other thing is after abdominal procedures, and it can be something like a surgical AI, but more typically it's a C-section, we see cirrhosal cysts developing primarily in Bernese Mountain Dogs, sometimes greater Swiss Mountain Dogs, and Golden Retrievers. And those are just cysts on the outside of the uterus. They're fluid-filled. They're very thin-walled. They're not going to cause any kind of infertility or pathology because they're on the outside of the uterus, not the inside. But those seem to be really prevalent after multiple C-sections. So if your veterinarian says something about cysts, you need to know, is it an ovarian cyst? Is it an inside the uterus cystic endometrial hyperplasia cyst? Or is it the outside of the uterus cirrhosal cyst? Because those are all very different in what kind of pathology they create for fertility and what we have to be concerned about. So you don't need to spay for cirrhosal cysts. Those are not uncommon, not anything serious, don't interfere with fertility. But if they're large enough, they can be seen on ultrasound, and it can sometimes be difficult to distinguish between the cysts on the outside of the uterus and the inside of the uterus, or even potentially a pyometra at ultrasound. So if you have greater Swiss mountain dogs, Bernese mountain dogs, or golden retrievers, keep that in mind, and don't let your veterinarian be caught off guard by those, or at least be prepared with an answer if they poke their head out of the surgery room door at C-section and say, hey, she's got cysts, do you want me to spay her? The answer is no, don't spay at C-section, which is a whole topic into itself. And those are common, common, common in those breeds. So don't get alarmed about them. Okay. That's very, very cool. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Check it. Dog events are 
happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, (laughs) ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life, and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. I think the answer about you can actually have a successful vaginal birth or even another C-section. I had one particular bitch. I had to have three C-sections on. First one, I was out of town. My vet was taking care of her for me. She had to do the C-section because that was what she had to do. And then she had too many puppies and then she didn't have enough puppies. And she was very healthy through all of them. So anecdotally, I know that particular bitch survived that very well. Are there things or concerns that owners should look for that will help them make those kinds of decisions about their individual bitches? To decide if they need a C-section or to decide if they need a subsequent C-section. Right. Subsequent C-section. So 75% of C-sections are maternal causes. 25% are fetal causes. Fetal causes are things like oversized fetus, deformed fetus, like a walrus puppy, Mm. a puppy that mal presents. In other words, it comes down and it starts to come down out of one uterine horn. And instead of coming down to the cervix, takes a U-turn and goes back up into the other horn. Those are all fetal causes. Those do not necessarily mean that you're going to need another C-section. So it's really a good idea to have a conversation at the time of the C-section with your veterinarian to find out if they could determine the underlying cause for the C-section. We had a set of twins that caused a C-section and typically dogs don't twin. We've seen two sets in 40 years, so it's not at all common. But those are fetal causes. 75% of maternal causes, things like breed. Well, if she was a bulldog before you bred her, she's going to be a bulldog every time you breed her. So she's still a bulldog. You're still going to need a C-section. 
or the greater Swiss and the Bernese mountain dogs, which have a lot of primary uterine inertia. They aren't good whelpers. If you're feeding a diet that's nutritionally incomplete in calcium, like a raw meat diet or some of the other diets, yes, you're going to need a C-section because you didn't prepare her body nutritionally for a good whelping. So those are all maternal causes. If she had a pelvic fracture, if she has a stricture, if she has any of those abnormalities, she's still going to have them every time she has a litter. If you have one or two puppies or more than nine puppies, you're going to need a C-section. And then if she has a reasonable number, the next time like six, you very well may be successful at going ahead and having a vaginal birth. And so there's one other thing here, again, that's sort of a sideline, and I don't want to derail this conversation, but I'm going to anyway, about resorption sites. And we were talking about cirrhosis cysts and all those things, but we also frequently see resorption sites at C-section. And often you will have a bitch that had seven puppies on ultrasound, and then there were four at the C-section, and you're wondering why there were only four, and what went on, and why are they so big? And you know, this is our bitch that usually has eight, so what Mm -hmm. went wrong? So this is the perfect time to talk to your veterinarian before the C-section to have uterine biopsies collected at the C-section. You're already in the uterus. I usually take two, one at the incision site where I made the incision to remove the puppies. So there's normal placental development at that site. And then you can feel the resorption sites surgically when you're the surgeon. You can feel those resorption sites. They'll feel thickened. They'll be kind of a yellowish plaque. And there's this very characteristic grayish, yellowish mucoid discharge that if you culture it, it's always negative. So that's Mm -hmm. the other site to take a uterine biopsy. And so this is something you should talk to your veterinarian about before you go to C-section so that at C-section, they can go ahead and proceed and take another small incision. It doesn't have to be a big one. It's not going to damage the uterus. And I actually had a very long conversation, an hour-long conversation with the pathologist that we used for our uterine biopsies on Friday. He's Chris Premandon at Ohio State University. He is double-boarded in therio and pathology. He's brilliant. And we had a long talk about whether we could do some kind of a study to try and grade some of these situations and try and grade fertility and some other things. So don't spay for a resorption site that is not a pyometra. I've had people misconstrue that as a pyometra because it does have a real characteristic look to it that the fluid may resemble a pyometra, but it's very localized. It feels like a thickened plaque. You know you had more puppies before, then you ended up having a C-section. And they should not be spayed. I've actually seen veterinarians mistakenly think that that's a pyo, but it's incredibly rare to have a pyometra at the same time as a pregnancy. It is not incredibly rare to have resorptions. We think up to 30% of conceptions turn out to be resorptions. So it's a huge number and it's not unusual to see in bitches. Just a little sideline there. No, this is good. This is another good squirrel. Let's talk about (laughs) resort. No, I love these squirrels. Let's talk about resorbing puppies because I've had bitches do it. I think everyone that's ever bred a litter somewhere along the way has had a resorption. What causes them? If you're saying 30% of conception ends in a resorption, what's causing that? And that's the question that we can't always answer, even sometimes with biopsies. Sometimes the biopsies give us tremendously great information. Other times we get nothing. So there can be inflammation, there can be infection, there can be fibrosis, there can be cystic endometrial hyperplasia. There can be illness in the bitch. You know, the uterine health is only one possible cause for that. Or she had diabetes while she was pregnant or something else that happened. So there's a lot of reasons that we can see bitches resorb their puppies. And that's the value of doing the uterine biopsies is it gives you some information going forward. And in fact, these two cases that I talked to him about for an hour on Friday were sisters. They each had one puppy in their litters, only one puppy. Valuable breeding dogs in a great breeding program. 
but only one puppy in each. Each of the puppies succumbed to different reasons. So she ended up with two C-sections and no live puppies. One bitch had some pretty significant inflammatory changes, eosinophilic inflammatory changes. One bitch had completely normal uterine health. So again, that gives us a whole different sort of things. The one puppy that was born was deformed, but there was still only one. So you shouldn't see one puppy at a C-section. There should be a litter of puppies. And anytime we see only one or two puppies after a larger litter had been conceived, especially in the larger breed dogs, and we get down to one or two puppies at C-section, it's not unusual to see something wrong with that puppy too. It might be really, really small. There may have been some other changes in uterine health or physical health of the bitch that interfered with it. So I'd love to tell you that we could always find a cause, but we can't, even in dairy cattle, where there's a huge economic impact when heifers and cows lose pregnancies. There's a ton of money that's been put into research on those because of the economic impact. Because if you don't have a baby calf, you don't have milk. If you don't have milk, you don't do anybody any good on the dairy farm. Mm -mm. So a lot of money has been put into that. Not a lot of money has been put into this on the dog side. So if you have a breed club that's really desperate to find a place to put some research dollars and resorptions (laughs) or pyometras are of concern to you, the Therio Foundation can help you find someone that can do a study with this kind of information and try to chase it down. We need to know more and we need to have more veterinarians that are willing to submit samples in a controlled study with outcomes. So, you know, what happens the next time we breed her? Now that we know she had fibrosis, now that we know she had inflammatory changes, now we've medically managed her, what happens to the next time? And we've had bitches go from zero puppies, zero puppies, zero puppies on three subs of breedings to appropriately treating after uterine biopsy and having seven puppies. So you can sometimes manage these dogs. Can you always? Of course not. There's no guarantee to fertility. But with the right information, with uterine biopsies, whether she was pregnant or not, it can be a really valuable piece of information for your veterinarian to now specifically manage. Instead of just guessing and arm-waving at what to do, we can give really specific diagnostics and treatments and nail it down and have good, successful fertility after that. I'm loving the arm-waving. I'm (laughs) seeing this. I've got a visual. You know, you've been to the vet. I don't know. I got nothing. (laughs) Totally got it. Okay. So that I think is really, really interesting. And, you know, we've talked about all the strange and wonderful. We have had a couple of really great podcast topics on that. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that I thought we should maybe follow up on, because I don't remember us talking about it at all, is strictures. That is something that has cursed my, I mean, if I had one curse in my bitches is these recurring damn strictures, H-band, O-band, you name it. So I think that's something we could maybe talk about and how you can or cannot deal with those. And we see all sorts. We can sometimes see just really tight vaginal lips. If you know that's the case, you can preemptively do an episiotomy, send the bitch home, let her whelp, have her come back, put her back together. We can have an episiotomy done at the time of whelping. And a couple of weekends ago, I did two episiotomies the same weekend. Doesn't happen often, but it can be useful. Some strictures, you can just reach in and either dilate or there's a band of tissue that can go horizontally. It can go vertically. You can sometimes just rupture those with your fingers. I've also seen those bands two inches wide, and those are not going to be something that you can reach in and just snap with your finger. I've seen bipartite vaginas where each uterine horn, instead of joining in the uterine body and then coming down as one opening into the cervix and down into the vagina. I've seen it where it's bipartite. And so puppies can bypass that and on one side or the other. 
So we've had some of those bitches free. Well, there's a huge variety. Sometimes you can fix them before she's bred, depending on what kind it is. If it's just all the way around tight, you're not going to be able to fix that. If it's all the way around tight far in, you're not going to find an episiotomy to fix that. If it's tight at the very opening of the vaginal lip, so the nose of the puppy is out and that's as far as it's going to go because it's so tight, an episiotomy at that point can be done on an emergency basis, or like I said, it can be scheduled. So there's a lot of different things you can do, but sometimes you end up just saying, you know what, if we breed this bitch, I can't fix this, nobody can fix this, and you're going to end up with a C-section, should I go ahead and put semen in this dog? Are you okay with a C-section? Or are you going to say, done, not going to breed this bitch, or at least not going to breed her on this cycle until I get this corrected? But I think it's really important to have the conversation with your veterinarian before the breeding takes place. And that's part of what a routine pre-breeding exam should include with a veterinarian that does canine reproductive services. It's not just a physical exam to make sure that her gums are good and her teeth are lined up correctly and her heart is okay. And you've done all your health screenings, but you need to check the mammary glands. You need to check for umbilical and inguinal hernias, and you need to check vaginal opening to make sure that you're not going to run into a situation with a stricture and get into a pickle at two o'clock in the morning when you were unprepared for that. And I've had bitches with strictures such that they could actually not be bred live cover. Right. There was no way slot A was inserting into flap B. This was not happening. Exactly. So in that case, you know, you can do an assisted breeding, but the question is, do you want to? Mm -hmm. And if the bitch otherwise has a lot of great qualities, then yes, I would suggest that you go ahead and breed. If you have other strikes against her, then those are decisions that you have to make preferably not when you're standing there holding semen in your hand <laughs> saying, okay, do we do this or do we not do this? Cause you have about five minutes to make a decision. It's much better to find those out ahead of time. So I like the pre-breeding exams to be done by a veterinarian that does a lot of canine reproductive services at the first progesterone test, not when you've already spent $600 progesterone testing. The semen's already sitting in that clinic, either fresh or frozen, or you've collected it fresh and you're like, uh, okay, where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, and then I've got people crying and people on the phone talking to their co-owner and, uh, you know, a lot of drama can happen with this. So please find out at the very beginning, not when you're under the gun to- Absolutely. That's not the time. No, it's not the time. And I will never forget the first time I had this particular stretch of the line, the first bitch that I had a problem with, my boarded therianologist vet, doing the exam. And she's like, I can pick her up by this trick. Yeah, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. So she was definitely a C-section and her daughter had the same problem. Now her granddaughter that I just whelped 13 puppies from did not. So hopeful that we skipped away from that now. Right. But we had one that came into us. She was being bred on Easter Sunday with frozen semen with a TCI from another state. So the first time I got my hands on her was the day of the breeding and I reached in and could feel a two inch wide band of tissue. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, can't you just reach in and snip it? And I'm like on Easter Sunday with me, my husband and you as the entire staff, a two inch. No, no, this is not an option. So if we put the semen in, you will have a C-section. And she did. And she had nine puppies. She came back from the other state because she'd had an unfortunate experience in the state in which she lived. So she came back for her C-section and produced nine beautiful puppies, but not out the hole that God created for her. Well, and you know, this is a whole nother, we're going to save this one up for next month, the whole conversation about 
making smart breeding decisions as regards your bitches. Oh yeah. There's a lot of material there. I mean, that's a whole long conversation and I can speak from personal experience of what I should or shouldn't have done and the benefits, the pluses, the minuses, whatever, but having the information. So I don't, I don't make any judgment about whatever decision you make, but I want you to make an informed decision. Exactly. And I'm not here to be the breeding police and I don't think veterinarians wish to be, although there are a few, you can hear sirens. (laughs) There's a few, but in general, we just want to be here to educate and guide you. Yeah, well, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, the emergency clinic that won't do a C-section unless you spay her on the table. I know. That's an entire That's an topic. Entire topic. Okay, so we're saving this one for next month. We are going to talk about, what is that? Like ethics of, or good choices, or I don't know, we'll have to figure a way to frame that. But I think that's a really good conversation to have. Yes, yes. There's ethics, there's morals, there's... All of that. Yeah, there's a lot to that. Okay. Marty, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you for everything that you have contributed to Pure Dog Talk in 2020. Of course. Always happy to do it for you. And Merry Christmas to you and all of your listeners. Have a great New Year. And remember, the Pandemic Puppy book is out. Your Pandemic Puppy. Absolutely. I, <laughs> we're pimping it all over the place, Good. man. <laughs> so it's available on Amazon, $19.95, $9.95 if you want the Kindle version. Got it. So Your Pandemic Puppy. Go for it. Excellent. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 